Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things. To plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's going to enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, and then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. Uh, now listen, obviously, uh, asking for a friend, uh, obviously a, a series like this, just it requires extensive research. And so I had to go and find my favorite asking for a friend question that I had to share with you. Can I wear a Snuggie to pick up my daughter from school asking for a friend, Pastor Josh? Now listen, his kids don't even go to school, but that's still funny, okay? When Pastor Josh is away, I get to play and do whatever I want. So I, I, had, to, I had to throw that up there. Just the mental image of Josh going to pick up his daughter somewhere in a Snuggie was... I mean, I spent way too many hours on that this week, so it was good. Uh, now listen, hey, last Easter, we took a survey asking you all, man, what topics... If we did a series just answering the questions you were asking and what do you want to hear uh, about uh, from Scripture... Uh, we took a, we had like 12 to, on this survey, we had about 12 to 15 answers. Some of you guys were super awesome and you didn't check any of those boxes. You wrote in answers that we got to go through and add, you know, and add to the list. Uh, and so we tallied them all up and I don't, I don't want to read into this. I, there's no judgment coming from me here, but I do want to point out most of you guys, and this was at Easter. So this is probably even more true. We're sitting next to spouses or family members or good friends. And by far, the, the topic that got asked the most that we're talking about today was, you guys said, I need to learn how to deal with difficult people. And so I don't know, if that, I'm sure that wasn't for you. I'm sure you were asking for a friend, uh, but that was by far the, the topic you guys felt like, I most, as I sit by my family and my spouse, I need to know how to deal with difficult people. Uh, listen. All of us know there are difficult people in almost every area of our life. Uh, All of us know that, whether it's bosses, whether it's employees at work, uh, whether it is the crazy people in your neighborhood that throw a fit because you went two miles an hour over the speed limit in your neighborhood. Not that that's ever happened to me, but I am a little bit bitter uh, about it. or uh, it could be your in-laws. Raise your hand if your in-laws are, I'm kidding. We're moving into Thanksgiving. I don't want to, we're not going to drop any bobs like that. That is not cool. We're going into Thanksgiving. Let's be of good cheer. I do not want to get anybody in trouble here. Um, uh, all right, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we, that's where we're going to be. Listen, uh, what we're going to see in 2 Timothy uh, is we all have kind of marked that box. Man, I need to learn what does scripture say about how I deal with difficult people? 
Uh, what we'll see is what we always see whenever we're looking either at other people or at topics. What we always find is God is first more interested in changing us and how we approach those things than letting us sit there and dissect and diagnose what's wrong with everybody else that makes our life difficult. Uh, now, we will do a little bit of that, so that will be fun. Uh, but primarily, Scripture always has us uh, look, man, what do we need to do uh, and what do, how do I need to change to deal with difficult people in a redemptive way? You know, what we know is we cannot change or control what anybody else does. Uh, we can change and control how we choose to engage people uh, that, uh, that do sometimes just make our life difficult. So if you've got your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, start reading with me in verse 21 through 26. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Listen, the question we're asking when we read this passage, we're asking, what does the Bible say to us and how we can deal with people in a redemptive way? Another way to say this, how does the gospel actually change us and equip us in dealing with people who sometimes most certainly make our life a little bit difficult? Here, the first thing, there's four things that we're going to see in this passage of what the gospel does in us or how it equips us uh, to deal with uh, just the difficult people in our life. Uh, and the first one is, uh, and this is what we saw in verse 21, we have to be a set-apart people. We have to be a set-apart people. You know, it says, cleanse yourself from what's dishonorable so you can be a vessel for honorable use, ready for every good work. Listen, all of us who have those difficult people in our lives, we know, A, it is work to deal with them. And B, it is a good work that we must deal with them. Uh, but listen, what's the old saying? If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, right? We have to be a set apart people. We cannot be like, man, all these people are such a pain. They are very difficult. And we go on living and doing the exact same things they do that make our life difficult. We have to be a set of apart people. It starts with owning our own humility and understanding. I can sometimes be a difficult person. Listen, I'm going to do this because your spouse needs the affirmation. Raise your hand if you know you can be a difficult person. Raise your hand. All of you. Yeah, your spouse needs this, okay? Listen, I'm, we're going to go a step further because you might have just been like that real quick and not really owning it. So you're going to say out, your spouse is going to hear verbal affirmation of you owning the fact that you can be a difficult person. So you're literally going to say, we're going to say, I can be a difficult person. Ready? Say it with me. I can be a difficult person. All right, we're done. I hope you guys have a great, I'm just kidding. But you're welcome, spouses. You're welcome. Uh, listen, here is good news. We have kind of two different sets of good news. One is that in heaven, praise the Lord, there will be no more difficult people. Uh, but that includes you uh, and that includes me, that we will no longer be difficult people in heaven. Uh, but the other good news is for the here right now, where sin is still present, uh, where relationships are still hard, 
we have this good news that God uses the repented to bring about repentance. That God uses the repented to bring about repentance. When we realize, no, no, I can sometimes be that difficult person. I can sometimes be the one that causes unneeded strife and harm in relationships. And sometimes my life is the one that is not in step with the gospel and the ways of God just uh, according to his truth. When we own that, well, the good news of this passage in 2 Timothy is, it says, man, first of all, be a set-apart person uh, that can be used uh, as a vessel for honorable use, for being ready for every good work. Uh, What that's saying is, be a repentful person. Be someone who knows, no, I actually have to pursue holiness and own the fact that sometimes I'm the pain, not other people. because then what we saw at the end of this passage is how this passage is bookended is, hey, be someone who's a repented person set apart as holy so that God may perhaps grant them repentance. You see that? God uses the repented to bring about repentance. So no matter how or who the difficult people are in our lives, we have an opportunity to be a vessel for honorable use, ready for every good work, that God may grant them repentance, ready um, to come to a, a knowledge of the truth. So we have to see, we can't truly know, man, what does it mean? Because uh, those people, they're usually where our heart set isn't, man, the, the people that are making my life just, uh, just a mess and chaotic, uh, I am so for them. I just love them so much. That's not our natural heart orient. Our natural heart orient is, how do I get them away from me? How do I spend as little time as possible with them? And how can I get my spouse to get them away? You know, that's, you, that's usually how we, how we naturally function that way. What we have to see is, no, no, the reason why our heart naturally functions that way is we're not remembering that, no, no, it was while we were at our absolute unloveliest that God pursued us in Christ uh, and loved us. That it was us that we cannot truly understand grace until we, we see, no, no, it was me when I was stuck in my foolishness, my rebellion, my sin, that God said, no, no, no but you're still worth my pursuit my love, my grace, uh, and he pursued us in that way. As Christ followers, uh, what we, when we say the words of, man, treat others the way you want to be treated, what that really means is, what, how, even whether we realize it or not, the way we want treated is exactly how Jesus treated us while yet we were still sinners. That the way we want to be treated is, man, even when we don't deserve it, we're pursued with love and grace and kindness. You'll never, we have to realize, you'll never have to forgive someone. You'll never have to forgive someone more than God forgave you. We will never, ever have to forgive someone more than God forgave us. When, when our hearts come to grips with that, that's when we finally get to the spot where we can say, okay, listen, I can forgive because I've been forgiven. I can extend grace to this person because I've been shown grace. I can go out of my way to be loving even when they are such a pain and seem unlovable, that is what Christ did for me when God sent the Son, the Son for the joy set before him endured the pain of the cross. It's when our heart realizes, man, this is exactly what Jesus did in the gospel for me. That's the only motivation, uh, the only lasting motivation we can possibly have uh, with dealing with difficult people. Uh, it will, if it's not for the gospel, 
It literally makes no sense to engage and deal with difficult people. But with the gospel, it makes all the sense in the world. Because we know every single person, we've we got to put on our theology hat sometimes and know, man, every single person, they are made in the image of God. And God looks at them and realizes, this person was worth the price of my son. And when that is the lens which we see people, we realize, no, I have a greater calling than to just get through Thanksgiving meal and get to the pie where everything will be okay. We have a greater calling than that. We have a calling to be a set-apart people that engages uh, difficult people in our life the same way God engages us at the cross of Jesus. Uh, The second thing, being a set-apart people, the second thing, we have to pursue the right things. We have to pursue the right things. It says, flee youthful passions. Listen, youthful passions, uh, it is speaking uh, generally about uh, just sinful desires that we have, especially those that characterize us in our youth. So one, uh, we, uh, in our youth, we have this desire to be first. There's a reason why when you, uh, you uh, teacher tells the kids, hey, uh, go to the door, get ready for the cafeteria. Everyone sprints like they have, their life depends on them being the first one to the door. They have to be first. Uh, this desire to be right. Listen, I have an eight-year-old. And I don't know how, uh, he somehow, he thinks he knows more than me on every topic under the sun. I could literally introduce him to a new topic that he's never heard about. Two minutes later, he's telling me where I am wrong and he is right. He must get it from his mother. <laughs> we all have this desire, especially in our youth, uh, this desire to be uh, the smart, just to be seen as the best or the smartest or uh, just the, the most prestigious, whatever it is. Have you guys ever noticed, you have multiple kids, you can't just compliment one kid at a time. Have you noticed that? I tell my kid, hey, I like your jacket, like, you look great. And the other kid's like, what about me? <laughs> you don't like my jacket? Do I need to go change? Dad doesn't like my jacket. And they don't realize, like, you're really minimizing the compliment when I have to compliment both of you every time. But they, there's this inner desire, I've got to be seen as the best. Some of you guys are like, man, if these are youthful passions, I might still be a child. That's, that's another sermon for another day. We don't have time. We don't have time. Uh, but listen, can you imagine, let's say that in, in the relationships that we have, that us, it can be a good friend, a coworker, a spouse, that if both of you are, you're pursuing these youthful passions of, I have to be right, I have to be first, I have to be seen as the best. If those are the things you're pursuing, you are always going to have strife and turmoil and hardship uh, that you do not have to have because pers- those things are begging. Let's have unhealthy competition in our life where we are at and against each other rather than for each other. So this passage lays out, well, then what should, don't flee youthful passions. It says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. When we stop pursuing those uh, youthful passions, when we actually pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace together, that's where relationships, instead of becoming competitive and cutthroat and me against you, where relationships can actually start becoming extremely life-giving because you are encouraging one another. You are pushing them towards righteousness, faith, love, peace. They are pushing you. You are striving after uh, things that God wants to do in your life because of the gospel, and you're actually striving and pushing each other uh, for that together. 
what we have to see is when there are, when, when, I, when I've seen people who their, mar, their life is marked by righteousness, peace, faith, love. When we meet people like that, you know what I've noticed when I see people who, man, they, they really embody these things. What I notice is there is typically just less chaos and relational friction in their life. Uh, my wife, on one of her uh, numerous shopping expeditions, uh, bought a sign that says, your vibe attracts your tribe. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Now, that one is at least theologically accurate. The one she bought before that said, follow your heart. So I made her get rid of that one. So she bought your vibe attracts your tribe. But listen, that is true. What we have to realize is sometimes our character and what we pursue invite more chaos and difficulty than what has to be there. Who we are plays a big part of what we are surrounded with. Who we are plays a big part in what we are surrounded by. The third thing we have to ask that this passage makes us ask. So we have to be a set-apart people. We have to pursue the right things. And then we have to ask the the question, is this battle worth fighting? Uh, It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Uh, So let's do some diagnostic questions of, is it worth it for me to hop in uh, to this controversy? Let's ask some diagnostic questions. One, is it on Facebook? If the answer is yes, the right answer is always no. <laughs> always. Listen, for all that is lovely and holy and pure and good, please do not debate things on Facebook. Okay, listen, if you hear only like two things today, it's Jesus loves you and I'm not supposed to debate on Facebook. Okay, that's all that I care about today. So pretty please stop. All right, moving on, more seriously. Uh, One, ask the question, will this make an actual difference in my life or the person's life uh, that I have this strife with? I think if we took a step back and realized, man, most of the things that are causing a lot of this relational, uh, just tension and friction, they are things that even if resolved, almost changes nothing. But here I am laboring like a hamster on a wheel, laboring and laboring on something that's literally never going to get me anywhere. Uh, we need to ask the question, am I debating this simply to defend my personal pride? You know, one of the things that makes our relationship so difficult is, uh, you know, people will wrong us. They'll do something that rubs us just the wrong way, or, or they'll say something that honestly they shouldn't have. Uh, but because we feel like we have to come and defend ourselves every step of the way, what we end up doing is inviting more chaos and more difficulty into our life by never simply being able to step back and, and uh, honestly, uh, let it go. There are some things. There is no command in the Bible of go right every wrong in the world. That is not a, the, there is not a command in the Bible. If your toe gets stepped on, drop a hammer on them. That is not there. And a lot of times we, spend, we, we make the difficulty and the difficult relationships a lot worse than they have to be simply out of this response of defending, uh, def- honestly defending our pride. Um, and then we can ask the question, is this something where we can agree to disagree? That is an okay thing to do. Listen, not in the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, or the English does the Bible say you have to agree on everything and you've got to convince everybody that your opinion is always right. It is not in there. It is okay to say, man, uh, we can agree to disagree here. This battle is not worth fighting. Uh, But to answer this question to you, this is where it gets difficult of is this battle worth fighting? 
We have to, we have to be able to know what kind of person are we dealing with? What kind of person are we dealing with? You know, the Bible, it gives us different commands for dealing with different types of people. Uh, For example, it says, encourage the faint-hearted, but rebuke the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, but rebuke the idle. Uh, What it's saying is, not not everything needs a hammer. Uh, If you have a hammer because you need to put a nail on a wall, then the hammer is a good use for what you're trying to get done. If you're trying to fluff a pillow, do not grab a hammer. It is not going to have the desired effect. Listen, if we start rebuking, correcting, and confronting people because, man, they're weary and they're tired, and what they really need is us to bear their burden with them, but we come crashing in with a hammer, all we're going to do is destroy the person. Or if there's someone who is truly, uh, man, they are, they are just being hard and rebellious and difficult. Um, and, all, and all we ever do is just, oh, man, I'm just, I just want to encourage you. And we're, only, we're, never, we're never actually willing to confront with hard, true, but gracious words. They're never going to see the growth in their life that they need to see. We have to weigh who is the person I'm dealing with for us to ever know this is how I need to move forward with this person. So Henry Cloud, uh, Henry Cloud just, uh, he breaks people out of the book of Proverbs of, man, we have to ask, is this person wise, foolish, or evil? Wise, foolish, or evil? So let me break these down really quick. Uh, And I'm going to hit this uh, after this section, but give us a heads up. We typically do a terrible job putting the right people in the right categories, and it is what makes us get it so wrong in how we deal with difficult people. So first, a wise person. Now remember, when we go through this, uh, don't... Uh, don't only think of yourself as wise and everybody else as foolish or evil, okay? We need to ask ourselves first, man, what category, especially in these different situations, am I falling under? Uh, And we have to learn how to weigh ourselves and other people. So a wise person, uh, as the book of Proverbs says, correct a wise person and he will be wiser still. When the truth comes to a wise person, they try to adjust themselves to live in accordance with the truth. They have this posture of receiving that says, man, if you come to me with something, I will listen, seek to understand and receive it so that I can learn and grow from it. Uh, typically, even if it is a fool, if they bring you something, there is typically at least a tiny percentage of it that is true. A wise person says, man, let me weigh this. What is true? And let me seek to grow and to learn. Wise people fight the right battles and they listen to understand and seek growth. Here's where we a lot of times get, to, get it wrong. Criticism needs to be weighed, not counted. Don't count the number of criticisms you receive. Weigh the people from whom you receive it. Don't count the number of criticisms you receive. Weigh the people from whom you receive it. That means some random person online, their words should not carry the same weight as a trusted friend who uh, has your good at heart, who loves you, and who wants to see Christ grow in you. That person's words ought to carry a lot more weight, and you ought to be inviting those people into your life on a consistent basis with vulnerability, asking them, what do you see in my life where I can grow in wisdom and in godliness? We need to weigh the people uh, from whom you receive it. Uh, Second category, foolish. Uh, When truth comes to a foolish person, they don't try to change according to the truth. They try to twist the truth just enough 
uh, and change it just enough to get them to be okay and comfortable with exactly where they are. That's what a foolish person does. That's why Proverbs says, instead of having a posture of receiving, they say, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, a lot of our natural... Te- listen, our na- we already admitted some of this together. Let's, let's go all the way. Our natural tendency uh, is not to receive instruction and correction. Our natural tendency is let's, be de- uh, um, let's defend ourselves and cast doubt on whoever is bringing the word of correction or confrontation. Uh, but what Scripture says, no, no, that's what the fool does. What the wise does is listens, seeks to understand, and receives it, and just finds what is that percentage that might be right so that I can grow uh, and, uh, in my maturity in Christ. Um, but let, here's what we need to realize. I think a lot of, time, a lot of times, uh, uh, I think what's accurate, or we'll call it the 10-80-10 rule. 10% are probably actually in the wise category. About 80% are probably in the foolish category. And only about 10% are in uh, this evil category. Uh, but what tends to happen is we think when we are wronged or people say something against us or they're just making our life difficult, we have this tendency to put them in the evil category. We, if they do something that we don't like or say something we don't want to hear, we then assume ill in their motives and assign false motives to them rather than seeking questions to uh, understand where they're coming from and what they're saying. What we need to realize is uh, when people are hurt, they typically see everything through that lens of their hurt. So they say something that hurts you. They're not trying, people are not typically, listen, there's, I mean, there are a few out there. There's not many people out there who are just like, who can I make life hell for today? There's just not many people out there. But what happens is they're hurt, they see everything through that lens of their hurt, and they hurt other people. Or they get offended, they see everything in their life through that offense, and then they go and they start hurting and offending, and it just works its way out in all these unhealthy ways. They're not being evil. They need lovingly, they need lovingly, gently corrected. Here, but here's what typically happens. So someone does, says one thing to you one time, and you go, man, you shouldn't have said that, that was wrong. Uh, but, and, but we get stuck kind of in the weeds with these people. Uh, sadly, I had a whole lot of personal uh, examples of uh, my foolishness come to mind. I'll share one. You know, when I was in college, I went to Bible college, which is fantastic and absolutely horrible all at the same time. Uh, the horrible piece is when you're in Bible college, uh, you think it is my job to make sure everybody knows exactly what to believe at all times. And if they do not, I will correct them uh, because I'm a Bible college student. That was more peer-to-peer taught than a, stu- a professor-to-student taught. But uh, honestly, but that was working its way out of me in an unhealthy way. My social media presence, uh, I would just, uh, I would lash out. I, would, I was just this divisive, angry guy. Well, and sometimes I would post something and someone would say, hey man, I really think you crossed the line. I thought, oh, you're so right. I'd go and I'd delete. I'd go, that guy just made me so mad. He's such an idiot. Uh, They just made me mad. I shouldn't have done that. And what I do is I excuse it away. I say, oh, that guy, I know I shouldn't have done that, but that guy really, he really just set me off. Someone finally lovingly pointed out, he made me step back and didn't say, he got out of the weeds and said, no, no, listen, I think there's a pattern in your life where you come across arrogant 
and aggressive and angry on your social media presence. And then I couldn't excuse away this one-time thing that I did that I called out on. I had to step back and address, you know, is there a pattern in my life of ungodliness where I have to, if I'm going to be wise, I have to accept the truth, the hard, cold truth being delivered to me, and change according to the truth. So the fools, a lot of times we get stuck in the weeds, and it's just tit for tat all the time with this person. Rather than, no, 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 step back, deal with the pattern so we can correct with gentleness. The fourth thing, uh, and this is the most important, the fourth thing uh, that we see in this passage is we have, to make our, uh, we have to make redemption our aim. You know what it says? is not quarrelsome. The Lord's servant is not quarrelsome. He is kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may grant them repentance. Listen, when we read that list, is not quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting with None of that is rocket science. And when we read that, it's like, oh, that seems simple. I mean, I tell my two children, hey, be kind to everyone. But what we know is if those were actually easy and everyone actually did those, uh, the overwhelming majority of us wouldn't have marked, I got to figure out how to deal with difficult people. Because people who are kind to everyone, people who patiently endure evil, people who correct with gentleness, people who are not quarrelsome, they are not difficult people. They are the people we want in our lives and around us. So it's not rocket science, it's simple, yet we know it's actually a very radical way to live. And it's very counter-cultural. And what we know, uh, because we are gospel people, not law people, we actually don't even have the power to live that out all on our own outside of the grace of God. That we have to be people who we know, no, I'm not going to spend my life stuck in useless quarrels. I'm going to remember the way I was loved by Jesus. That is how I love people around me. The way that Jesus patiently endured evil on my behalf That's the way I'm going to patiently endure evil on their behalf. The way I get corrected with gentleness, where if anybody had a reason to drop the hammer on me, it is Jesus, but yet he patiently endures my evil and corrects me with gentleness. That what leads us to repentance, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. So when our aim isn't, Get me through this meal so I can, I just want my life to be smooth and easy. No, no, no. We have a bit, as gospel people, we have a bigger aim than a smooth, easy life with as, as uh, little of hard relationships as possible. Our aim is redemption, that God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And just as the way God's kindness led us to repentance, our kindness plays a part in leading them to repentance. So dealing with difficult people genuinely means, man, how do I be a repented person myself and pursue the right things and fight the right battles and work in these ways to see redemption happen in people's lives? The only way that happens is when we soak in, no one was as evil and as foolish as I was. But by the cross and the power uh, of Jesus, he makes me wise. He gives me a different uh, hope and a different approach to the difficult people in my life to where I'm not just trying to get by. 
I am trying to get them to see the wisdom and the power and the grace of God, the same way he has allowed me to see it through the gospel of Jesus. That leads us with patience for people, uh, the same type of patience God had for us. That leads us to be able to be filled with compassion and mercy for people rather than just anger and bitterness towards them. That leads us from our words going from just complaining about how difficult they can be to just actually praying for them that God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Difficult people uh, are, that's why it's called difficult. They are tough, tough to deal with. And some of you, honestly, you're walking into a Thanksgiving week. I joke about it. You're walking into a Thanksgiving week with more anxiety than joy, with more fear than celebration. My encouragement for us is is, is a reminder that you'll never have to forgive someone more than God forgave you. And a gentle, loving reminder that how we deal with those difficult people in our life can be the most... uh, transparent and obvious outworking of the gospel in our life for the people around us. That we have the opportunity and the aim not just to get through a meal or get through four days stuck in the same house. We have the opportunity that God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth.